0: How is the sound quality on your end? Uh, It sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. All right, let's try again. Okay. All right. Welcome back to Living in Your Own Skin. It's a podcast that I created to help me get to know people a little bit better. There are certain things that I like to talk about that really light me up. And this was my excuse to try something new, where I do my best to peel back the onion skin and get to know the real person. I have a famous name. So I had to get creative. And I came up with the real Ben Howard. Today, my guest is my Aunt Betty. She's an amazing person that I've learned a lot from over the years. And I wanted to share that with you. So Uh, Welcome back, Betty Howard.
1: Thanks, Ben. It's great to connect with you.
0: I know. This is exciting. Um, We had a few technical issues, but, you know, uh, that's part of the learning process. I definitely want to get better at this. It's really fun. Uh, It really excites me. How are you feeling about the, the process? Good. Good? Okay. Nice. Um so where where did you uh want to start today? Well, you had mentioned that
1: uh you had some questions that you'd gotten from other people about that you'd like to talk to me about and then also just to finish up, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, uh, let's start
0: let's start there. Okay. Yeah.
1: I did remember or thought about one other experience that uh, was very um, important for me. It was when, oh, my goodness, when America, America went into Iraq to take um, that country
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, and um a lot of things coincided at the same time um, because my mission was concerned about some of our families that were there who had small children. Um, they wanted to, us to evacuate. Um, and that was very hard for me because I felt that was unnecessary for me. Um and felt very secure among my Jordanian friends. But the mission was requiring that. At the very uh, same time, the SARS um, infection went all over, and people were uh, very concerned about that. And um, also, I got quite sick at that point and was coughing uncontrollably. And I just told the mission, if you require me to get on a plane, it's going to be abuse because um, I will be coughing uncontrollably. And you can imagine what the rest of the passengers are going to be thinking and feeling. And so they let me stay and not be evacuated at that time. And then at the same time we had a huge um, snowstorm which was um, very unusual. And just even to get to the airport was difficult. And another thing that came together was that I needed to renew my um, resident permit to even um, be able to stay there. Well, finally, I did get a bit better, and I was evacuated back here to Salem, and it was an extremely hard time. Um, America was so caught up in this blitz of um, taking Saddam the thing down, and it was on the TV and these raids. On wonder, and so everybody here was had turned very patriotic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But all I um, felt was these are people under these bombs, and people are getting killed. And all Americans were just saying, "Oh, isn't this wonderful? We're taking a dictator down." They weren't really. My sense was they weren't really taking they didn't really care about the people that all these bombs and war were destroying. And um, so I was back here in Salem, and it was very tense. I was seen as um, unpatriotic. and At the same time, different groups in my church were asking me to come and give my perspective But then um, others in the church were following me around and claiming that if I couldn't support America, that um, I shouldn't get their financial support to be in Jordan. So I was really caught.
0: Whoa, that's crazy. I had no idea.
1: Oh, yeah. It was probably, other than in going in counseling, it was probably the most stressful time in my life. 'cause I was caught uh, and told again and again that if you can't be uh support America and what America's doing in Iraq, um, then we should cut off your support. Well, eventually I was able, um, after much communication with the mission to go back mm-hmm. or did but then i was confronted with uh renewing my resident permit in my building um, i had very close uh, friends who lived just below me in an apartment and uh a son-in-law of my friend um, was the top judge in the secret police in jordan wow So I thought, well, why not just go to the top and ask him to renew my permit, which he would very quickly be able to do. But as it turned out, he turned my name into the secret police, and then I was called in and interrogated about what I was doing because uh, in Jordan... um, it is against the law to try to convert people away from Islam.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So I um, went in, I had a great piece about it, um, which was amazing. And so I had this hour-long interview. Question after question, like,
0: um,
1: are you using money to get people to convert to Christianity? Um, how much do you make? Why are you here? I, I don't remember all the questions now, but it was an hour yeah. long interview. And I would tell them, well, I make this much money. And they said, well, no, Um you're an American, you, you have to be making much more than that. And I said, no, that's not much you made. And then they said, well, are you giving money to people? I said, no, uh, the only way I help the poor is to give money to my um, Alliance Jordanian Church family, and they distribute it. I never give money directly to anyone. And, uh, wow, now I just don't remember.
0: Um, But that was kind of like a loophole that they had created, right, to give money? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because they are saying you're buying converts. Yeah. So then they put, uh, they finished this interview, and then they put me in another room for an hour. I couldn't believe the peace I had. Then they pulled me back in. And they said they start asking all these questions, but they changed them. They said, you said this and this. I said, no, I didn't say that. This is what I said. And they just went question after question and tried to catch me in saying something different. Oh, wow. So um, finally they told me, well, because I was such good friends with this, judge and his family, which in fact I was, um, they were being very easy on me. So I went home, and then afterwards I got, oh, one of the questions they had asked me, had I ever given a Bible to anyone? And at the point, I just didn't remember that I had. And then when I got home, I thought, "Oh my goodness, I gave my neighbor girl uh, Arabic New Testament." So, well, I've got to call the judge up and tell him that. Hmm. And at the same time, there was a, a group traveling around the world who were trying to help people who were being called into difficult interrogations uh, because of Christ. And I happened to call them and tell them this dilemma I was in. And at the same time, I tried to call the judge. Anyway, I went and talked to the people that were trying to teach us how to walk through interrogations and they i told them the situation they said betty you do not do not try to explain anything because once you start explaining one thing they will pull you into another and try to make you an informer against the other um the church there in jordan and against the missionary Do not say a, one more word. And so, and I went home very, very upset. Like I had not told the truth, but I couldn't correct it. And um, and the judge called, and I said, "Oh, I, I, it's okay. I think it, it's all clear." <laughs> and I, I didn't go, and he accepted that. And then. I was just caught for weeks just feeling like a traitor um, to Christ and yet bewildered at the peace I had because like it says in the Bible in Luke, you know, that when we're called in to the governing authorities to give account that the Holy Spirit will give us the words we should say. And I had certainly experienced that amazing piece during that interrogation. But now I was thrown with my integrity. And a couple of weeks later one of uh my dis well my area director came and he began talking about this whole thing of what felt like half have- truths that we say and how we need to trust God that he will give us the truth. He said he would, he needed to go into Syria and um, against, and the Syrians would ask him, have you been to Israel? And he said, no. But of course he had. And he said, no. Not this time. (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't say the rest of the sentence. And that just brought me to peace that there are times when we don't tell the whole truth. Mm -hmm. And we have to be wise about what to say. But that just brought me to such peace about okay I did what I felt the Holy Spirit led me to say at the point when I needed to say something and I could just trust him to let it go. Wow
0: I can't I can't believe you're saying that right now because that was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about later is uh, discernment and when, when to speak up in the moment um, because it's really hard to talk like in the moment, be completely present, and have a filter and say the right thing.
1: Oh, and this is what I have struggled with all my life because I tend to speak right what I'm thinking.
0: Yeah, exactly. With, That's what I'm saying. Without
1: uh, a filter. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: And um, in That's that so situation, hard. I just felt like the Holy Spirit took over. hmm Because if I had then re, uh, talked to the judge, I would have exposed the church, all the other um, missionaries, the... Uh secret police would feel like they had got an informer they would use that on me um against all that I was there for, so that was a special a special blessing from God at that moment, but this is something that I continually um, oh need to work on because I just say whatever I'm thinking. Yeah, that's and hard. And often it is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And um, just even these last couple of days, I've tr- when I've been trying to sort out this whole thing about Black Lives Matter and all of this that with uh, mm-hmm. one of the people doing some teaching here at the church, Um, I've noticed in different situations that they will not, uh, I make a comment thinking they'll give a response and they don't give any response.
0: They're just silent. Yeah.
1: And I feel like, oh, Lord, that is what I, I don't have to give, I don't have to say everything I'm thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, that is why that is a well. That's a really, that's,
0: that's a really heated uh, topic that you're bringing up, and so you have to use a lot of delicacy, and especially with uh, you know the the book that you read, white privilege. Yeah, and um, it's really at the top of your mind. Um, you're thinking about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Um, this podcast I'm listening trying to understand how we, um, how we walk through this cultural moment when there's so much controversy, um, and what I should speak into and what I need to just be quiet and walk past.
0: Uh, so what's the podcast?
1: Oh, well, it's, um, Breakpoint uh, Charles Colson um, and they talk a lot about this cultural moment and how for us as Christ followers um, what we should be concerned about and what we should let go just uh, that we are God created this in his image and that's very strong, and that needs to be held on to the way he created us, and not try to rearrange ourselves yeah. according to what the world is
0: calling us to. Uh, so that that's a really fascinating um, thing that you're talking about. And my my question is this: so. When that person, in the moment, you're talking, having a good conversation with that person, when they don't say anything back and they freeze up because they were caught off by your uh, question or whatever it was, or comment, um, how do you phrase it in a way that they can hear it? Because Because your intention is love and kindness always. Well, I and I just, want
1: to, I, I, just want to, I just want to hear their, um, their thoughts. But I don't think it's, they're caught off guard about what to say. I think they have thought it through and know that isn't a, an area they want to go to, that right. it would not be helpful. Right. And so... And, my inclination is, well, you know, I've got to say what I think. Right. And uh, I don't. And I, I'm, I'm trying to learn that I don't have to give an opinion about everything. Yeah. Well, that's good.
0: Um, <laughs> all right. So Charles Colson, Breakpoint. I'll look that up and... I'll give it a listen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh well, it's um, and of course he passed away. He started prison fellowship, and he was that one that pop uh, not person in the Nixon administration. He ended up going to prison um, because of his that he felt he had not been honest, hmm. and he confessed that he had not been honest and was sent to prison. And his experience then turned out to be uh, – open his heart and mind to what people in prison were dealing with. And a, a book that really told his story was Born Again, and that's um, by Charles Colson. It's certainly worth reading.
0: Okay. Nice. Uh, so let's get back to Jordan. Let's try to uh... – uh, kind of explore um, your kind of end or finishing years after you were interrogated by the Jordanian police.
1: <laughs> yeah. The secret police. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So uh, what else did you learn in Jordan as a missionary that you want to share oh. with people? Um
1: that if that God's call in my life is what I need to follow mm-hmm. and strategies and approaches may change but primarily I need to really listen and sit quietly with the Lord and follow through on what he's called me to and um, as The years went by, younger missionaries came and they had different approaches, but I felt that God had shown me that he wanted me to invest my life in women and disciple them and support them in their growing in Christ and sharing God's grace and truth with other people. And that has been a big carryover to where I am now that I just need to be very intentional in sitting with God in the morning and reading the Bible and really believing he'll tell me what to do yeah and how to do it and not be listening to this voice or that or to listen to my circumstances I just finished two or Two and a half days of very intense meetings here at the church about um, how we are trying to share God's grace and truth with um, our community. And um, I felt like, well, if God would just heal me, then I would have much more strength and wouldn't need to be so careful to pace myself. So last night there was a a time when they had people stand and ask God for healing and others prayed for us and to accept that God may not that God may not choose to heal me and that I need to be at content and live within Um, the situation I'm in. There may be so much more that could happen. And the reason this is really important to me is because working with women in recovery, there's so much more we could do, but I'm limited and there is no one in the horizon that would take over my role of directing this um, community uh, reaching out to people and I think okay Lord if you don't choose to heal me I have to be a content to live within the circumstances that I'm in and trust you for what's going to happen in the future. So it's that's part of what I had Really had to learn in Jordan, and that goes on in my life today.
0: Hmm. Well, wow, that's that's really heavy. Uh, uh, I'm really sorry that you're sick and you're struggling with your health, and um, your energy level seems to be like really taxing on your soul.
1: Yeah, but, you know, Ben, the, the amazing thing about this is um, I'm in no pain. I'm in no discomfort. Mm-hmm. I just am tired. Right. And so when we think, oh, cancer, then
0: you know, all these
1: other horrible things. And I don't have them. Yeah. It's just learning to be content in the day I
0: have. Mhm. Um and there's really no cure, you you've said no, uh-uh. for leukemia. It's, yeah. it's,
1: it's what it is. It's chronic, it will be it will be what it is. Yesterday I went to my uh cardiologist and he said, Oh, you're doing great. Your your heart's good, everything's good and this is a and he said you'll you'll last for years it's just slow <laughs> yeah she <laughs> gave me dog uh, which is just uh very interesting because an iranian jew there <laughs> against the arabs but we've become
0: good friends so that's good we discussed that issue. I I love that you know your uh, doctor's uh, religion. That's one of the things I was wondering later, actually. You ask everyone, oh, what is your faith?
1: (laughs) Well, no, you know, he's like, his name is Dr. Galilee. Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) And so the first time I met him, I said, Galilee, where are you from? Well, I'm from Iran well, what is your religion? (laughs) I went through all the ones I could think of and he said, I'm Jewish. I said, Oh, really? Well, I've got an Arab heart. (laughs) Anyway, you had to have a little peacemaking, uh,
0: talk there. Wow. That's funny. (laughs) Only you, Betty. Um, (laughs) that's, that's good. um, well, uh, yeah, I think, um, and then you came back to the States and you did the prison fellowship with the the women. We talked a little bit about that last time. Yeah. Um, I, on a side note, I had such a good time seeing your church a couple weeks ago. We went and visited you uh, and you gave us a little tour. The coffee shop at your church is amazing
1: and it's uh, the that whole um first floor of the um community center is commercial and the church has kept has is really um controlling that particular business in that building because they want the coffee shop to be open to all people and you don't have you can spend the day there if you just buy one cup of coffee. It's just, and so we've got a lot of homeless people. And uh, it's a place where people will come and spend the day.
0: Wow, that's great. It's a beautiful building. They did a really good job. And I love that they have a whole room. The top floor or area is just for prayer. They can go there and just have some quiet time. No talking on that in that whole room. I think that's a, a very unique idea. Um, I was thinking about the marketplace when Jesus is in the marketplace and there's just chaos everywhere, but they've organized that, that first floor coffee shop where you're, there's a lot of like little private nooks and little places where you can have a semi-private conversation, which I really like.
1: Yes. And people from all over the city, come. Um, um, it's not just for the people from our church. It's, right. Yeah. It's like yeah. Exactly. Coffee houses. So, yeah, that's what a lot I mean. of people come to meet with friends or just to have their own personal quiet space. Yeah, that's nice. And it's all set up with so much internet. A lot of uh, students come to do their work there. Long tables with internet connections all the way down the tables and.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's a meeting place that it's its
0: purpose yeah they did a really really good job i was very impressed i've seen lots of churches but they all kind of seem like um a hospital uh gift shop where it's just very <laughs> <laughs> plastic and there's no thought or intentionality in what they what the purpose of it was you know yeah. so um it did a really good. Got
1: lots of sofas as well as long study desks and all kinds of little places so yeah works great
0: nice uh so let's get into some questions if that's all right we can always come back to your missionary work um but we covered a lot of that on the, the last episode um, um When I go to your house, it's so tidy and so clean. I really appreciate that. And uh, my question is, um, do you keep it that way? Is like a a self-soothing because your life is so crazy? Uh, Because you're like going to the prisons and you have to come home and create order?
1: Well, yes, I'm very intentional about it. And mm-hmm. uh, uh our dyslexia doctor way back when <laughs> Dr. Sandstrom, yeah, uh, he just told me my brain is so scrambled that uh if my environment isn't orderly it's just, it's just too hard for me i I just have to have my surfaces clean, I have to have things put away. I'm very. In- very intentional about that. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed over the years that homes I feel comfortable in are homes where they are very intentional about having um orderly environments. I mean, it doesn't have to be spotless or perfect, but just not a lot of chaos.
0: Yeah. I definitely... Can relate. I do much better when I I think about my space, and I I I am obsessed with cleaning and wiping everything down. I thought it was because of all of my years of being a chef, where they taught us to clean as we work, work as we clean, and you know, if there, you never just stood around, you were always doing something.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, and so. That's just very, very um, – I've come to realize that even our, in years past, people would um, almost laugh at – well, they did. They laughed at me. I, guess I remember friends in Jordan, when they would open a drawer and everything was sort of in order. And mm-hmm. it, um, it's just – that's what I've had to do to learn to function with this. Um Chaotic brain. <laughs> this life yeah.
0: Um, I I was uh diagnosed with ADHD and uh I think it it's like having dyslexia and ADHD. It's Let like crippling.
1: It. <laughs> yeah. And so you have so you have to learn uh you have to learn systems.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really good at systems. I really enjoy that process of creating the system and then working the system. Um, I've I've learned to enjoy it and lean into it. So. And um, I
1: do, I and even last
0: time uh, when we talked, we talked
1: about uh, cr- creativity. And, yeah. And that it's all part of the gift God's given us to cope with the scrambled brain.
0: Uh huh. Cool. Um, all right. So, um, my sister Kristen. She said, "I don't know if I want to start out with hers. She she likes to dive into the deep end. Okay. Let's start, let's start with a with an easy one. Um, this is from Judy. Uh, what was the big surprise living in the Middle East? Oh. It could be
1: anything. It could be quick. Any surprises? <laughs> a, um, maybe I would just say, "What a gift it was to me! Um, I felt accepted and loved and included." And um,
0: so you found your family. Yeah, you found. Your yeah, family. yeah.
1: That that just it was amazing.
0: They really accepted you. Um, yeah.
1: And and I felt valued and wanted.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, And this is from Judy S. Why did you choose the Middle East?
1: Oh, well, there was probably a couple of things. Um, When I was at Wheaton, I got to know another missionary, Colleen, who was headed in that direction. But I knew that God had called me to be a missionary uh, and to make disciples of, of women. And um, so I knew it wasn't just enough that she was going there, but that I had to have an uh, assurance that this was God's will for me. So I it just came as I prayed that I felt God really spoke to me about going to the
0: Middle East. Hmm. So it was really Colleen that planted the seed, and, and yeah, it just you just kind of followed your heart.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and I was trying to follow God's will for me. Do you still keep
0: in touch with Colleen? Uh,
1: no, uh-uh. we're
0: um, we've moved on. Yeah. Like, yeah,
1: she uh, left. So she left after I'd been there ten years, so she was She left in 1980, and I didn't leave till 19 till
0: 2005. Hmm. Wow, uh, 25 years later. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> I I still am like shocked at how long you were there. Um. Okay. So, uh, what did you love, and what did you do for fun in the Middle East?
1: Well, I would say my hobby was becoming as Jordanian as possible,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and I just loved being with the people, visiting, reaching out to them, spending time. Um, also, on my like vacations, because I was a woman alone, um, I was sort of an object. Um, Uh, especially towards men looking for women. And uh, so I would go, like some vacations, I would go over to to Cyprus Hmm. and um, be in a hotel there. Uh, But usually I went over, I just crossed the river and went over to Jerusalem and spent um, a week to 10 days with the nuns over there uh, just outside of the city at Damascus Gate. And just, I love, love wandering the city and wandering, going uh, the area around. Go up to the Mount of Olives and just, I would love to just walk for hours and enjoy everything and
0: enjoy the food and
1: the people So that was really a gift that most people don't have an opportunity to do.
0: Yeah. I remember doing that in culinary school. I would go down to Manhattan for the day and just wander around and eat and uh, look at all the galleries, the photo galleries. I really liked just kind of wandering and taking it all in. I really, really liked walking walking.
1: And the thing is that was so fascinating uh, to me is that I I would always stay in the Arab side of Jerusalem and then I would walk over to the Jewish side Mm -hmm. and um, just talk to the people and go in their shops and they're just a completely different way of life. Yeah. So that was, and just, Things like Passover, when you couldn't get any bread that had yeast in it, and the Jews would be, um, the Jewish side, they would be serving, like, pizza without yeast. It's called matzah. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And just trying all these different experiences over the years was just very, very
0: special uh that leads me into one a question from Angela um she says what is the most unexpected food combination that was actually good
1: oh okay i could tell you that um it's okay. a flat it's like an arab um pita what we'd call pita and it's cut and then they before it's baked it's covered with oil and then this uh, Zotter, it's a combination of oregano and sen- sesame seed, and it's just covered with that piece of bread, and then it's baked. And the first times I had it, I thought, oh, this is horrible. But now, wow, I just love it. It's how did it happen? I thought
0: it was pronounced bizarre. Uh, I've been the pronouncing Zotter, it
1: wrong. Wait, well, it. it you know, everybody's got their own. It's Zather in Arabic. Oh,
0: I, I love that spice. I haven't had it in a long time. And um, then uh, what was the food that you missed most from Jordan? Oh, my God,
1: Um, The
0: grape leaves. Oh, like
1: the stuffed, yeah, stuffed and, grape leaves? The yeah, pabama? and in Jordan, they're real thin, like the... An, the the fattest ones would be, like, your ring finger. And, oh. and not like the Greek, which, uh, dolma, which are big, fat things. Yeah. But ours are very thin. And um, sit down and eat 12 or
0: 15 of those just in a meal. Ooh. Oh, so that, I I have a fun uh, question about that. My Jordanian friend here, uh, she uh Irene, she was making those, and she used turmeric in them. Uh huh. Did, did, did you remember the turmeric? No. Oh. Yeah.
1: So she's um and uh so she's added her. It, it's like hummus. Uh
0: huh.
1: A good good hummus in Jordan is very creamy, and just um, chickpeas. Garlic, and lemon, um, none of these fancy add-ons that Americans like. And, right. uh, of course. You yeah, know, very it's, like, it's like Chinese food or anything. We've Americanized it. Yeah. Not pure stuff. Do
0: you ever make hummus? now? No.
1: No, I'm no cook. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, my friend Suha told Dick how to make it real creamy. Oh. And that's uh when you're putting it in the blender, just the last um minute or second add a two or three ice cubes.
0: And that'll oh,
1: cream it right out.
0: Wow.
1: That's Where, like a little more
0: chunky. Hmm. So well, thanks to Angela for asking all the food questions. I am fascinated <laughs> by food, but um, uh, Angela just takes it to the, the next level. She made this pistachio cake that was to die for.
1: I'm still yeah. thinking about
0: it. I can think I of it read. right now.
1: Sure story to miss that party because you had snow and all we had was sun.
0: I know. Yeah, we had six inches of snow. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, good question. um, so uh Meredith wants to know um if you could give yourself any advice um on your way to Jordan, what would it be? So it would be like you know talking to yourself and giving yourself advice on your way to Jordan for the first time. Oh wow, That's a good question.
1: <laughs> We're talking oh like sixty years ago. No, fifty years ago. Um, just relax and enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy the differences. Um it, when we arrived in seventy it was just before Nasser died and oh, there was a huge upheaval in the country and the whole Middle East. And mm-hmm for um before we went uh the p l o had um hijacked planes and they landed in Jordan as I think about that, that is just crazy I know because when we uh it was just the week before that we arrived and um planes had been hijacked and I didn't well, even think about it. I
0: thought,
1: yeah. Oh, so exciting. Wouldn't that be great if you got hijacked? And, I mean, I was just, you know, you were talking last time about Mike quirks I yeah. love it. <laughs> I,
0: I just don't
1: think fear.
0: I know. Well, and to be young again, I mean, I, I know think- you're still fearless, but, um, you know, when we were young we were we just had a different level of being fearless
1: i remember once being over in israel uh, in nazareth and there was some riots and um a friend of my uh, i was with a couple and the wife was quite fearful and the husband was like me and we just wanted to get right in the middle of the crowd and find out what was going on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't go there. Don't go there.
1: (laughs) Just get in the middle of it and
0: experience it. Yeah, that's good. I I used to be like that. I I lost that because of COVID. Um, And I want to get back doing stuff like that um, and learning new things. Um, It just became so overwhelming for me. And my uh-huh. experience, um, about you know, everybody was so scared of everything, I just crumbled, um, through that well, whole experience of being locked in the house.
1: Well, and I think it makes such a difference with uh for you being responsible for wife and children. Yeah. Where yeah. for COVID I just didn't pull back at all. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, I just so envious. Uh I just yeah. felt you know, trying to be respectful and always wear a mask and do mm-hmm. what I need to do for other people's comfort, but it certainly didn't affect me um, inside emotionally. Yeah.
0: All right. So you you knocked those out of the park. Uh, so Kristen H., she said, um, how do you navigate such a dominant male authority in a missionary world? <laughs> I know I don't think i to wade into her question.
1: Uh, you kind of
0: alluded to this a little bit when you were saying that all the men were looking for a wife and so you had to be really careful earlier.
1: Yeah. Or, um, like, especially when I first went in to Beirut. Oh, this is, yeah. And um, it was very... It was in the 70s, and short, short, short dresses women were wearing. It was like wears a little longer so you can't see your panties. Anyway, mm-hmm. and so I would be in some of the uh, areas of just restaurants and people promenading, and the men would just undress us with our with their eyes and um and, and this was Beirut a very very dark place at that point sexually mm-hmm. and then i would watch um men train their little boys to stare at women
0: oh wow um, that's terrible
1: and so i remember a process i went through uh, first and I was, wow, isn't that nice? They liked my looks, And then I went to the next level and just got disgusted. Mm -hmm. And just angry inside. And then it was just like the Lord said, if you stay angry and disgusted, you might as well go back to the States. Because if that becomes the way you feel towards, uh, people and men, um, you're you're dead in the water. Wow! And so I just felt like I had to move to the next of accepting him, mm-hmm. of, of um learning to walk down a street with my um, eyes way ahead so that they wouldn't because if they could get your catch your eye, they had undressed you. Um, just learning how to walk and look down so that no one no one caught my eye,
0: mm-hmm. and still
1: be able to see what was going. Yeah, yeah. So but that you have was. to
0: walk, be very guarded. Yeah, hearing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just um, well, and emotionally it was hard to feel like you were getting abused emotionally in that way.
0: Mm -hmm. And so I
1: had to learn how to protect myself so that I wasn't caught emotionally um, by the way I was treated. But then there's also just accepting in situations like among my Jordanian uh, friends where I, uh, you learn what men will respect you and don't respect you and you just learn where you are you feel comfortable and yeah. with what families you feel comfortable. Yeah. And I mean,
0: speaking, when, speaking up in the moment um, and telling them, you know, that you're not feeling comfortable. Pardon? Oh, I don't know where I was going with
1: that. I
0: guess I was trying to bring it back to the conversation earlier about having a filter and learning how to speak up. Uh-huh. Um, yeah,
1: and to how to? Uh, I remember out in Mufferuck, um, I had this really close friends, and he had um, a shop in in town in our little town, um, and I and when I would be in their home, we could great communication and freedom good friends but then when i saw him in town he wouldn't even acknowledge me and i thought uh-huh. what what's going on and finally i i i don't know if i asked him or I figured out that he did not acknowledge me uh among other in town among the other um business people because they would misunderstand And they would misunderstand. And he was trying Uh, to protect me. Yeah. By
0: not...
1: By just ignoring me.
0: Wow. It's all about how you framed it in your mind, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, and learning how they were framing it in their minds. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, cool. Uh, Okay, so how do you see your role of um, the missionaries actually um, helping and sometimes even damaging um, the culture? Ooh. Like, for example, you know, like when missionaries go and they try to um, take their Western ways and tell them that they have to live a certain way to be a Christian.
1: Mm-hmm. I I would say that my role is to find out and live within where they are right now and if they want to make a change that's not my my place if they want what I would consider greater freedom mm-hmm. as uh Oh, just a crazy example you know, way back when um missionaries um, would tell the people they couldn't wear makeup and they couldn't wear pants and um they had the women had to always cover their heads uh, um, so that was how the missionaries thought. Christianity should be lived out. And if that change and if the change has come and uh Christ followers in Georgian do wear slacks and they don't cover their head in church and um but that has to be a change they make. And it's mm-hmm. not for me to and so that would be a conflict. Like there would be some missionaries have made a big deal about that, and they said, "Well, you're just living in uh, legalism," and and it became a real tension point. Um, but I just felt like
0: that isn't my role. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's a hard um, needle to thread. Um, yeah. So, uh, let's end on this question. I thought that was pretty good. Um, what were your thoughts on missionaries when you were growing up?
1: Oh, <laughs> not good.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, the only the only missionaries I ever uh, was aware of was when we were in London. And, and it's uh, not a nice thing to tell you, but anyway... Uh when we were in London, and there were these two single missionaries who would come on I'm assuming they're for a low of home assignment, they were very, very overweight uh, very overweight, and just wore the sloppiest clothes uh. and I mean, just were' not attractive. And I I still have that picture of them in my mind. And I thought, oh, boy, wouldn't that be horrible to have to be a missionary and (laughs) look like that. (laughs) So that was a pride thing I had to deal with um, when I felt God called me to be a missionary. Um, You know, there is a certain, for me, you know, Missionaries are not a uh, very high calling in life. And to be willing to accept people's impressions of that. And I I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I remember being on planes, uh, coming and going from Jordan, and someone would ask me, "Are you, uh, what do you do? And I would sort of... Well, I'd say real quietly and I'm a missionary. I was like a shame. And then um I remember I had to deal with that and then I would almost yell it. And then everybody would look at me. So it, even today, you know, I don't think it's a high uh people don't think highly of it and accepting that this is God's call in my life, and to humble myself and be, be
0: happy about it. Yeah. Uh it's hard to kind of, like, change our minds um, from your first um, impression of those missionaries as a little kid and then kind of changing your mindset about missionaries and really making it your own. I think is is great.
1: I remember coming up with this one. I uh, in a plane, a, a man asked me what I did. I said, "Oh, I'm in sales. <laughs> I'm selling Jesus." <laughs> and he said, "Oh, what are you selling?" I I said, "I am um, selling how to get a relationship with God." It's like you've got all this money in the bank and you don't know how to get it out. Well, God has all this for us and I'm in, trying to help people how to connect with what he has for us. So I'm in sales.
0: Nice. <laughs> uh, did he like that answer? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. He <laughs> you laughed you're, you're
1: funny. Oh, my goodness. And once I got on a plane and there was a... We were just getting on, and there was a man in front of me just griping, griping, griping and about something. And I, and I started, we are so happy to have you join us on this flight, and we hope you have a wonderful time or something. I started this thing that was loud for other people to hear. So later, when the flight was in flight, this uh, uh, server came and gave me a big bottle of champagne. <laughs> that he loved how you <laughs> talked about it. So I, uh, and so the man next to me, he said, "You're a missionary. What are you going to do with champagne?" <laughs> oh, dear, that's funny. Steady in her mouth.
0: Uh, Well, I think that's a good place to end today's conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Betty in her mouth. (laughs) And her sales promotion. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, Betty, I just really appreciate everything that you're doing today uh, with your small group and your book club and everything that you're doing. I, I just really appreciate that you were willing to share this uh, conversation with me today and uh, have a good attitude about learning something new uh, with me and just supporting me in, in my journey as well. I really, I really, really appreciate
1: it. Ben, when you were here with the boys, I, I was so impressed with how gentlemanly and attentive and just going with the flow they are. It's, it's Thank you. Amazing job with those boys.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's a delight work. Um yep. and I have worked very, very hard at, um, c- you know, creating responsible young men and just trying our best, you know, and uh, I think, you know, putting in a full effort uh, to everything that we do. So, And, and it's
1: had a very noticeable response. Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we'll talk to you uh, again soon. I love the question. I I did too. Absolutely amazing questions from everybody. And if you guys have any other questions um, or comments, or if you have any ideas uh, to help me with uh, my production and the sound quality, I would be I would love anything that you can offer. So you can email me at. Ben at the realbenhoward.com. That's my email. And uh, we will see you in the next one. Thank you. Bye. Bye.